Blog Talk Radio. Four Persons Inc. is a licensed 501c3 nonprofit. All rights reserved. No use of our content is allowed by law without our permission. Our goal is to bring you the very best Catholic content possible. Going forward, we will continue to bring you the best apologists, educational programming, devotionals, and live charitable and social outreach and activism. However, we cannot continue to bring this great programming without your help. All of our members are volunteering their time and efforts, but the hosting, programs, licensing, and subscriptions needed to keep this going costs money. Right now, our credit card platform is not yet operational, but you can still send your tax-deductible gift to the Four Persons Inc. P.O. Box 11214, Manassas, Virginia, 20113. That donation address again is the Four Persons Inc. P.O. Box 11214, Manassas, Virginia, 20113. If you are interested in advertising on our shows or have any questions or comments of any kind, email us at email at thefourpersons.com or call us at 240-728-6531. And now, welcome to Catholicism Rocks, brought to you by our friends at CatholicismRocks.com. This is our weekly night show dedicated to the premise that there is nothing better than being a Catholic. better than being Catholic. It is the best thing on earth. It is heaven on earth. So, it's Wednesday night, the 26th of July, 2023. And it's time for Catholicism Rocks. Let me welcome to the show my partner in crime, Jack. How you doing this evening? I'm doing very well, and how are you? Doing pretty good. Doing good, doing good. I, I love this show. I just, I love what we're doing here on Catholicism Rock. I love what we're doing here on the Four Persons. It just, it just gets the gets the juices flowing, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. We've got a pretty good connection going here, and I guess tonight we're going to talk about my, one of my favorite subjects of all time: books and. Uh, let me begin by saying over at Catholicism Rocks, we're going to start a book group here pretty soon. Probably, It'll probably be in September where I get it started out, but if people are interested in joining it, they can get a hold of me at jack at catholicismrocks.org. And our first book I think we're going to do is uh, we're going to start easy. We're going to start with some short stories by one of my favorite authors of all time, Flannery O'Connor. And the first one we're going to start with, I don't know if you've read it, uh, a Good Man is Hard to Find, a classic of Catholic literature. I haven't read that particular book, but I am familiar with Flannery O'Connor and Lover. Lover. So that that's a good starting point. 
Um, yeah, she's a, I mean, this is one of the best short stories in my mind of the 20th century, Catholic or not. It's just, but it's, it's so theologically thick. But it's also just a really good story. It's about, I mean, the plot's fairly, I'm not giving her away, anything away if I tell you the plot. It's about this family in the South that, uh, you know, Flannery O'Connor really didn't like a Christian hypocrites. That was a target of hers. And this is your typical Southern Christian family. They're going to go on vacation, but they read in the newspaper that where they're going to go on vacation, there's a uh, serial killer on the loose, and that's how it starts, a little foreshadowing, and you know what's going to happen. But it, it's a really – she's a tremendously good writer. She was very deeply Catholic, and her mm-hmm. theological points are subtle and not so subtle, and they shine through. So I don't know if you're – Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Uh, that's okay. Uh, if anybody's interested in jumping on that uh, book group, just shoot me an email over at jack at catholicismrocks.org, and we'll get you set. We'll get you on the list. Awesome. So what I was going to say is I don't know if you've watched the EWTN. They have a program called Saints vs. Scoundrels. Have you seen that? I watch. I, I am a fan of EWTN, but I don't believe I've seen Saints vs. Oh, Scoundrels. I really, really love that show. Um, it's a, uh, They do a half-hour depiction, like, each week, and what they'll do is they'll take one of the uh, modern saints, Catholic history, and they'll put him against one of the historical scoundrels of Christian history and say, what if these two people had met in real life? And they, And they actually have someone play each one of the, each one of the persons, and they and they you know they kind of tussle and they kind of debate. It's a really interesting program. One of the mo- more interesting ones that I saw was one when the saint uh, that day was was Flannery O'Connor. And I can't remember who the villain was in that particular uh, particular well, episode. That but, that, yeah, that sounds really interesting. I'm going to have to check that out. That, that sounds good. It's a, sort of like a Catholic version of Point Counterpoint. Remember that old show? <laughs> It is, it is. But uh, I remember one of them was like, uh, was like uh, Saint Augustine, and uh, I remember one of them was G.K. Chester Chesterton against Hobbes. Uh, um, oh, cool! Yeah, it was, it was, it was really, really, really interesting. Uh, I really loved the program. But one of them had Flannery O'Connor on it. it was really interesting. So, speaking of debate, you got kind of ambush last week with this crazy phone call and uh, at first you know when you were telling me what was going on i was like what what in the world is he talking about went back and listened to it and it's crazy okay but i was really impressed at how quick you were on your feet and how cogent and logical your arguments were you had this cat tied up in knots um I think that's because it caught me by surprise as well. You know, I was like, "What? What's going? What does it?" I, I, I immediately thought, like, as anybody, I mean, that was saying would that it was a prank call, and so I decided to stay on the line to see if I could uh, trip him up. And the, the 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 logic was self-defeating. But you know what? I imagine, uh, of course, Satan would be pretty good at doing this but it's his his logic would also be self-defeating in the end because you know it's the prince of lies so you're not Mm going to be able to uh, maintain a cogent argument very long right so when i was 
I've been doing apologetics for years and years, and the apostolate that I used to belong to, that I no longer belong to, I belonged to for 14 years, um, it was generally accepted by everyone there that I was the best debater of the group. Even though I did not know three as well as some of the guys did, did not know Catholic theology as well as some of the guys did. I was not the most uh, – this wasn't to say that I that, – you know, I was a novice. It wasn't to say that I didn't know my faith, but there were some people that were, you know, college educated that were that were higher than me. But even the ones that were the most educated said that I was the best debater. And they based that on exactly the same thing. The ability to make a cogent argument and the and the ability to take another person's fallacious logic, take it apart, deconstruct it, and use it against them. Uh, and that is, you know, the style part of the style versus substance part of a, of, of a debate. And a lot of people don't understand that, Jack. They don't understand the difference between arguing and debating. And there is a difference. An argument can basically is just a disagreement between two people where a debate – is you're going to take it up to take it up a notch, and you're going to and, and you know it's so common these days, and we'll get we'll probably get into this a little bit too. But even in the church, but I think this is since Vatican II, we might want to talk about that a little bit. Things are so loose that you have all kinds of people running around saying that they're Catholics when they're obviously not. They're contradicting themselves. I mean, I mean, you could just take some of the big guns here, like uh, the president Joe Biden, who says he's yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a good Catholic guy, and uh, but I won't recognize my grandchild, and I'm pro-abortion. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. okay, well, that doesn't really mess up. And, I mean, it's just everywhere because it's an abuse of language. And usually that's what people are trying to do when they're trying to make a, a, a point without using logic. So once you find out where their logical flies, you, what the thing that you have to do is stick with it. Keep beating at it and beating at right. it until and the whole structure will fall down. Keep keep pulling at the string until the garment comes apart. Yeah, that's what you that that's exactly what you do. And and so I sent you some stuff before the show about this lunatic who's been harassing us, uh and from the apostolate that I used to belong to. Um and, and the guy's completely unhinged and a lot of the arguments that he makes are um so he wants to believe something on an emotional level, so he does a Google search. The the old, um, you know, uh, the the, um, the 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 logical fallacy, uh, you know, uh, of the Google search that if it's on Google, it's true. And he, <laughs> you know, and and he finds something that uh, you know on Google that supports his his view, and he presents it as an argument. Well, here's the problem. You got to provide the source, so I can cross-reference it, so I can investigate it, so I can verify the veracity of the claims. So he produces this video, and the narrator of the video, who I don't know the identity of the narrator, I don't know the identity of the original source of the video, and this narrator is talking about an article that that somebody supposedly wrote years years ago. But I'm not given any kind of link or access to the article. And the article reports on an interview that another person had 
at one time with the Pope. And in in this private conversation with the Pope that was relayed to uh, the person that wrote the article, that is captured by this anonymous person making this video, and he presents that as a cogent argument. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> there's oh literally – there's. go ahead. That's confirmation bias in its worst possible form. Go on Google, find somebody, <laughs> find somebody that agrees with you. Use it as a source, but don't cite it. <laughs> right. Uh, that, that, yeah, that's that's pretty insane. Right. So he provides this as direct evidence that, you know, he provides this as evidence in a response. I said, okay, you you say so. The the allegation is that John Paul II privately supported Medjugorje. I said, well, that's interesting because. Medjugorje was going over 22 years while John Paul II was pope, never visited Medjugorje. He, he actually got within 25 miles of Medjugorje and still didn't go there, never said anything public against it. The four uh, negative judgments against Medjugorje all occurred during his papacy, and he never said anything uh, against any of those judgments, never had anything to say on the subject of Medjugorje in favor, uh, in favor of it, and yet he makes this claim that because this one bishop claimed to this author who claimed to this anonymous video person that, well, John Paul II <laughs> said to me privately such and such and so and so. So I said, okay, well, let's examine this. I said, okay, so Let's let's move the argument along. I'm I'm going to concede some things that I normally wouldn't concede, just to move the argument along. So I said we're going to assume that the video that I don't know the source of, we're going to assume that the video is accurate, just for the sake of argument, okay? And we're going to assume that the article that the video is talking about actually exists, okay? Even though I don't have access to it, and then we're going to assume that the article that he's quoting is actually accurate and he's quoting it accurately so i'm taking some big leaps here right yeah <laughs> yeah those are some pretty big leaps yeah so i said now if we do that then all that does is get us to the point where this bishop says that he had a private conversation with john paul ii and the entire crux of his argument occurs on uh, occurs uh, it hinges on whether or not this conversation took place, whether or not the bishop is actually accurately portraying what the John Paul II said. So I looked it up, and this bishop, Bishop Pavel Hanukkah, was a central figure in trying to promote the condemned apparitions of Our Lady of All Nations. And the Vatican actually issued a proclamation in 2020 instructing people absolutely not to support this apparition or promote Our Lady under this title. That's pretty strong language from the Vatican, okay? And this bishop was behind promotion of that, okay? He was also a member of the Queen of Peace uh, Committee with Medjugorje, along with one priest who actually was caught changing the messages, and another priest who was excommunicated and defrocked and exiled out of the country 
for sexual sins and the conjuring up of evil spirits. Okay? Uh, you can't make this stuff up. All right? And he was exiled out of the country by then Cardinal Joseph Ratten- Ratzinger. Name sound familiar? Yeah, it sure does. <laughs> okay? Well, the not future, only that. The future pope. Yeah, but this same bishop was indicted and convicted in the Vatican banking scandal and sentenced to three years in prison, and the sentence was later overturned on a technicality. <laughs> this is your star so, witness, Jack. <laughs> so your, star witness, your star witness has no credibility. Right. But, uh, and, and, and so anybody that would even try to advance that argument is obviously, you said it earlier in the uh, uh it's sort of a tendacious argument. You said earlier it's based on emotional. You want that to be true, so you go around looking for things that make that true. And sorry enough to say, I spent enough time in the university system teaching that uh, that's common practice. That that you a lot of students are taught that. Uh, well, even, there's a, there was an article in the New York Times not too long ago about this was about journalism, but it pertains to a larger picture that people are were calling you know logic. Uh, white supremacist. It was a tool of oppression by white supremacists, which is a completely the most one of the most ignorant things I've ever seen. Like a, if you look at mathematics as a rarefied form of logic, uh, it's not anything. It just is what it is. I mean, it's not it's not racial at all. But people don't, don't even bother in, in a world where truth has become relative, is a social contract construct, and personal truths sort of uh, trump anything else, reality, basically, this is what kind of crap that starts going on. And so what happens in the church, uh, is, this is where Vatican II comes in. It used to be that the church uh, tried to guide the world. Now the church invited the world in, and we get all this kind of, a lot of nonsense going on, even at the Vatican level. And, right. and when it in the United when when in the United States when it gets to these things I don't know if you read this but you know the the affirmative action thing by the Supreme Court struck it down in a dissenting opinion that knew uh, the black woman Justice Jackson in her dissenting opinion she cited this amicus brief that was based on a medical study that said and concluded that uh, babies at risk infants black infants had a double uh, a greater a chance to live if they were treated by uh, black physicians, black doctors. And when you looked at the, the study, it never said that. It was like 0.02%, and the study was bogus. I mean, just all the way down. I, I don't need to explain the whole study. But right. the fact that a Supreme Court justice can't read a medical uh, study and her clerks can't write an amicus brief that are accurate, and the study itself is bogus, it's dubious at, at bet for all kinds of logical reasons, says a lot about where the country is. And I'm afraid, I hate to say this, but it, it sort of says something about where the church is. And that's where yeah. Vatican II comes in. Uh, I'm not a big hater of Vatican II, except for the fact that it's too loose. There's too many interpretations come, came out of it. There's two sets of hermeneutics that come out of it. It's a radical break from the past. And then, then there's the uh, Benedicts, it's a, it's a, it's, no, it's not a rupture. It's a continuity. It's got to do with con- how do two hermeneutics come out of a council like that? How, how do two radically different and opposing interpretations emerge out of a council like that? Uh, and so it's a, what we're suffering from is an abuse of language. That's what I would suggest. Right. 
and people that and, and it engenders people like this guy you're talking about to just sort of spout nonsense and allows them to maybe sort of emotionally believe that what they're spouting is true. So you have to tear down their argument, but they're they're probably not going to listen to you. They're not. They're, they're right. probably you're not probably going to get through to them logically. So there's not a lot you can do but walk away and pray and just try yep. to uh, disseminate the informant the correct information, the true information as 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 it appears. You got to stick yep. to the truth, man. That's what the church is about: faith and reason. Reason leads to truth. It doesn't lead to uh, what you want to be truth, if that makes sense. Yep. No, it makes perfect sense. We've got Lewis called in. Lewis, you you run into the same breakdown in logic in, in your debates with 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 Protestants. A lot of them just they they just cannot formulate a logical argument. Have you know Have you uh, run into that a lot? Definitely. Um, they're very very good at um, beating around the bush and avoiding answering questions too as much as they can. We were having an argument with a Protestant about some typical stuff like the papacy. And this guy went went through the lengths that were incredibly manipulative. One verse that we gave that points to the papacy is when, you know, the apostles are together with Christ and um, they start arguing amongst each other who is the greatest. Then, you know, Christ calls the name of Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, I pray that your faith does not fail and that you can strengthen your brothers. He, first of all, lied and said, oh, no, it's Simon that came to Christ and, and called out to Christ. But we, the verse doesn't say that. It says that Christ called out to Peter. And then on top of that, he, he tried to say, oh, but that could be said towards anyone, what Christ said to Peter. But he missed the point. He said it to Peter. So you'll see this logic, this Protestant logic being used a lot. For example, another person they like to use this logic on is Mary. Oh, uh, anyone else could have just given birth to Christ. It didn't have to be Mary. But they missed the point <laughs> that it was Mary and that, you know, by being the mother of Christ, she was blessed with a lot of things that normal women weren't blessed yeah. with. Don't you love that like argument, Jack, the, the, the argument that, that, well, God could have done it any other way that he did it. Well, yeah, God, God can make 10,000 angels dance on the head of a pin if he wants. But uh, we're not confronted with what God could have done. We have to confront what God did do and how we're supposed to react to that, right? Yeah, it's not a it's not a coulda woulda shoulda game. It's what uh, it's reality. So what 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 does the verse say? And let's just start with that. But like Lewis is saying, people will distort things to fit their argument, and it's almost impossible. Or another, he got this one spot on. They're really good at beating around the bush or just uh, uh, sort of doing old red herring, bringing something else out that has nothing to do with the argument you're talking about right. and, and trying to divert the argument completely because they know that they can't defend their point. The only reason you would go to these tactics, that they, these manipulative tactics, is because you know that you can't defend your point using reason, exactly. but you're not ever going to admit it because you don't have enough humility to admit it. Uh, I don't understand that about a lot of people. You guys are going to laugh at this one. Go ahead. Now, this one adds up to what you were to what we all agree on. We were had they were having an argument. They usually typically like to use Paul to self-proclaim themselves as pastors because we we Catholics hold Catholics and Orthodox, of course, 
that you have to be ordained by a bishop, you know, traceable to an apostle to be a minister. And that's just a rule. It doesn't matter if it's for the, a bishop, a priest, or a deacon. They must all be ordained by a bishop. Just like, you know, the apostles ordained bishops, priests, and deacons. And then they passed that rule on to the bishops. Um, they were like, but Paul was ordained directly by Christ from heaven. So that shows <laughs> that um, someone can just hear the call and make themselves a minister. I mean, Christ makes them a minister without a man. And um, But what they failed to see, and this is what this Protestant did, is that even Paul had to go through the approval of the other 12 apostles. And they, after they approved him, they laid their hands on him. So even Paul, who was ordained by Christ through that way, still had to go through the church to become an official member of the apostles. Amen. And Amen. when I showed him this, he was like, no, Paul ministered right away. Then he joined the apostles. And I'm like, are we reading the same Bible? Because the Bible doesn't mm-hmm. say that. The very first thing that Paul did, a lot of Protestants would, would like to avoid, is he went straight to Peter. And then after going to Peter, he went to the other 12, the other 11, pardon. He went through the Pope himself. They're trying to use the exception to make the rule, basically, is what they're trying to do so they can do whatever they like. And even the exception isn't really an exception if you see that he had to go through the other 12 and they still had to ordain him. Yeah, that's yep. correct. I, I agree with that. It's, but they see it as an exception because it was sort of a, a unique case, basically. So they're going to use that unique case to say to, to and normalize it, to make it normative. So, okay, we can all do that, but they still never go through the bishop. So I guess that, uh, their logic fails on a number of fronts. All right, so we're exactly. going to shift gears now. We're going to shift gears, and we're going to do this the way that Jack suggested. I love his suggestion on how we're going to do this. So, Lewis, we want you to participate in this. So now, now we're going to talk about books. That's the su- subject we're going to shift to now. And what we're going to do is we're going to go around table. So we're going to go to me, then to Jack, then to Lewis, and we're going to keep going around. And each time that we go to a person, they're going to recommend a book and say why they recommend that book. All right, so I'm going to start this off. The book that I recommend that really opened my eyes because I was one of those people that was kind of skeptical about Medjugorje, didn't know what to believe, didn't know what to think. Some things seemed like they were plausible, but some things seemed like they didn't make sense, and I wanted to know what the truth is. I'm going to recommend the book. It's over 600 pages, Medjugorje Complete by historian Donald Anthony Foley. Jack, this book has over 150 pages of footnotes. Have you ever heard of a book that has 150 pages of footnotes? This is the most meticulously researched book that I have ever read. And if you really want to know the absolute truth documented down to every I being dotted, every T being crossed, this is the book to read. I'm going to recommend it as my first recommendation, Medjugorje Complete by Donald Anthony Foley. Floor is yours. Well, see, that's the thing that, you know, you always tell people, if you're going to, 
if you're going to try to read something or make an argument, you have to find out, is the author credible if it's nonfiction? If they're making some sort of argument, how do you know if it's credible, right? Well, one way to know is if they meticulously cite their sources that you can go look at if you want to. And so, uh, uh, yeah, that sounds like a good book. It sounds like it's a real poem, though, so you'd have to have some uh, time to read it. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I've been reading a, a lot about the SSPX just because I'm sort of fascinated in a sense by the controversy it's called. And it's never been it's, – it's sort of in a gray area as well. It's not really condemned. It's not really not condemned. But there, there's a book called The Open Letter to Confused Catholics by Marcel uh, Lefebvre, who, who sort of started that whole movement. And if you read this book, this guy's not some radical. He didn't even want the position, really. He's just like, he was just like a, a solid Catholic guy that went to, was stationed in Africa, and when he came back, you know, uh, Vatican II came up, and all of a sudden he said, well, wait a minute, all the stuff you taught me when I was younger is now sort of up in the air and no longer valid. The mass has totally changed. And so uh, he just – it's very it's very straightforward. There's not a lot of the he, – he has credibility because he's honest. You can tell he's just honest. He knows his stuff, and he didn't want to start a revolution or a radical anything. He just was standing his ground as he thought he should. And I think it's worth reading for people because there are a lot of confused Catholics out there these days. And sometimes, you know, if you listen to what's going on at the Vatican and in Germany and everywhere else, I get confused. I go, I go why isn't this stuff uh, – why is this being allowed to go, go on, the synod and everything else? Uh, who, sort of, you know, knowledgeable sources say the synod can't really change anything, but I'm not – I'm a little bit – I don't know what's going to happen with that. But if you just want to look at uh, – the traditional Latin mass, what it is, why it's there, and why it's controversial. I think you have to read both sides of the story, maybe, and a good place to start would be an open letter to confused Catholics by Marcel. It's not real long either. You can get through it pretty quick. But uh, this is about Marcel Lefebvre, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Okay. Lewis, you're on the clock. Give us a book rec recommendation. I really like multiple. I really like Why We're Catholics by Trent Horn. That book pretty much summarizes the Catholic faith decently well. Another one is um, Mary, I'm sorry, Jesus and the Jewish Roots of Mary. Okay, you can only do one at a time. You're breaking the rules here. <laughs> sorry. One book, one book at a time. All right. <laughs> what is the title by uh, Trent Horn? Some, there, there's just so many, but um, I yeah, guess but we're going to, But we're going to go around and around, so um, so you'll get another turn. I guess. Tim Tate's Tins Table, Behold Your Mother. Uh, it shows you the biblical sources and historical events of the Marian doctrines. It's, it really helps strengthen my faith. Um, I love it. And, I mean, it's a book that any Catholic or Eastern Orthodox can, can love and read. Okay. All right. So uh, if you go to Tan Books, Tan Books is one of the best distributors of Catholic books. You can order book sets, and one of the most interesting sets they have is a set of 12 books called the Tan Classics. And if you want to be exposed to some of the classic books in Catholicism, this is a real good place for you to start. And I'm going to give you one book out of the set that just absolutely revolutionized. It changed my life. And I've seen this book cited by so many other readers and so many other Catholic sources as – 
the go-to of understanding the process of conversion in the Catholic faith. And that book is Dark Night of the Soul by St. John of the Cross. I, I can't even describe how much that book changed my life. I recommend it to any Catholic. Uh, Jack, you're on You're on deck. I would, I would recommend that book to anybody, to tell you the truth, in my, uh, because it's very, very powerful. Um, I've been on sort of a political kick lately because of the state of the union and all this kind of stuff. So a really good Catholic book, and this was written a while back. Uh, it's an older book, but I think it's sort of seminal as well. It's called – it's by Louis Cardinal Billet, uh, and it's called Liberalism, a Critique of Its Basic Principles in Various Forms. Because I think that what we've been seeing here – and it lays it all out. This guy's very intelligent. He understands uh, uh, as a cardinal. He knows what he, he can, comes to from a, a Catholic perspective. And liberalism is really where everything went wrong. What we're seeing right now going on in the world, and to an extent even in the Catholic Church, is the fruits of the Enlightenment. It started before that, really. I mean, it started really in the Renaissance. I heard somebody explain it to me once pretty well. Uh, in the Middle Ages, if you look at the art of the Middle Ages, most of the arts that was pointed heavenwards. It was a, a, a Christ, things like that. In the Renaissance, it's still pointed heavenwards, but it sort of starts focusing more on humans. And by the Enlightenment, it's full-on blown humans, and that's where we are now. And that's where people are really it, – it's causing – I mean, it's very frightening. I think we're in some serious uh, – a serious time. Something's going to happen here. Yeah. I'm not sure what it is, but it, uh, it's uh, – people better prepare for it. And so if you have – if you understand – the notion of liberalism, and it's not. Uh, it started out with good intentions. The liberals didn't, you know, mean to, you know, break down everything and turn it into nihilism like we're seeing at, uh, the the end result today. But that's sort of where it's headed. And he points out some really good roots of why it went that way and why it was bound to go that way. It could go no other way. So uh, again, if anybody's interested in that kind of thing, it's called. It's by Louis Cardinal Billet for the. Uh, he's a Jesuit. Liberalism, a critique of its basic principles in various forms. Okay. Um, Lewis, your turn. Pope Benedict's um, XBI, Church Fathers from Clement of Rome to Augustine. I love that book, especially as a Catholic sense. You know, the Church Fathers are a strong pillar of our faith. They're what, you know, affirms that our interpretation of Scripture is not even an interpretation, just the right one. The church fathers, you know, they add a lot of light and clarity to a lot of, you know, things that we would be vague without them in Scripture since they were first-hand witnesses of these events. And no, there's no better book that I can think of of the church father than Pope Benedict's XVI's Church Father from Clement of Rome to Augustine. Um, hey. Hello? All right. Yeah, I, I heard you. Are, you. are you done? Yes. Okay. All right. So Jack just talked about liberalism and the danger of liberalism in our society. Um, this is not a political show, and we're not trying to get political, as he said. But social liberalism, uh, it's destructive, uh, and it has real consequences. Uh, and nowhere is that clearer 
than the book that I just finished. And I'm going to tell you, this was one of the most difficult books that I've ever had to read. Um, I, I, I had to put it down several times because it made me so furious. It made me so upset reading this book. But everybody needs to read this book. And it's called Why Meadow Died by Andrew Pollock. Andrew Pollock was the father of Meadow Pollock, who was one of the 17 victims of the Parkland School Massacre in 2018. And this book is a textbook breakdown of all the absurd and insane policies that allowed probably the most preventable tragedy in American history to take place. This killer was telling everyone but Santa Claus that he was going to go in and shoot up this school, and nobody listened. Nobody stopped him. Nobody intervened. It's just absolutely – it's the perfect storm of breakdowns in our educational system driven by liberal political policies designed to make it look like they were making the school safer, safer when the actual opposite is the case. And well, if you look seven, at what's, what's happening now, sorry for interrupting you. Go ahead. Well, if you look at that's what you're saying is so true, and it's only become more obvious. With even non-religious parents seeing it, with all the LG, what the LGBT are doing to children in schools, teachers that are LGBT are openly talking about their sex lives with students. Um, CFP, a Catholic traditional organization. Did a video on that that um, students are complaining the teachers are, for example, showing them pornographic films in school. Disgusting. Um, this pretty much shows that when the LGBT said they wanted tolerance, they didn't really mean tolerance. They want to convert the next generation, and if they even openly admitted it. Right. Jack, what's your next book? I'll stick with this. Uh, I'll do one more along this vein, and then I'm going to go into fiction if I get another chance to do some literature. But I, I, I'm still reading this, but it's really good. It's called, and I think it goes with the com- conversation we're having now, it's called Communism and the Conscience of the West by Fulton Sheen. Fulton Sheen, I'm sure you're familiar with Fulton Sheen, was a prolific writer, and he wrote all kinds of stuff. And this book, really lays it out, and he sort of makes some disturbing conclusions that uh, there's a lot of things about just the, the kind of communism with Solzhenitsyn, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who you know experienced communism up close and personal in the gulag system, uh, in, his, in a speech where he was accepting an award, said that the communism at the bottom of it it's, it's not an economic system. It's not a political system. At the very bottom of it, at the heart of communism, is a hatred for God, and that's coming out of Solzhenitsyn's mouth. And I think we better take it for what it, what he said. It is it is a hatred of God, and I also think that that that's where our education system. You're right. They don't want us to. They don't want us to tolerate them. They want to convert us to whatever this is, and it's some sort of perverted or you know spinoff Marxism. Uh, kind of thing, which at bottom has to be also a hatred of God and therefore of the Catholic Church, the, 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 you know, the Church of God. The, uh, and so communism, it, it, 
Fulton Sheen doesn't have a lot of the good things to say about capitalism as it stands either because it's purely materialistic. It also forgets God. Uh, so we've got a lot of work to do here if we, if, if we can to, to get God back into people's lives because they're trying to stomp it out of them. Even at the school age in very subtle matters, there's, you know, there's no longer uh, any God in public school systems or anything, but there certainly is LGBT ideology. So uh, uh, you put that in your pipe and smoke and go, well, what's gone wrong here? So uh, yeah. one more time, I think that this is a really good book and it's accessible because Fulton Sheen's a good writer. Uh, communism Fulton in the context of the world. Fulton Sheen is a genius. I've read his book, Life of Christ. Uh, I watched so many of his programs. He's an absolute genius. Okay, I want to speed it up a little bit so we can give the audience as many titles as possible before the show ends. Lewis, your next book. Lewis, are you there? Yes, I'm there. I'm sorry. I accidentally had myself muted. Yep, the, your next the, book. the next book that I really like is The Fathers Next Know Best. Again, it's called The Fathers Know Best, Your Essential Guide to the Teachings of the Early Church, a very wonderful introductory book for people that just want to read about the church fathers, and it's by none other than Jimmy Aiken. Wonderful. Um, what? Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it introduces you to basic church fathers from the first 100 years of Christianity, and I love that. So it's like it's more it, it's more focused on the other book that I recommended, and it will amaze you on how Catholic the church fathers were because they were Catholic. Okay, so my next book, it's just I want to be honest with you, uh, um, you know, <laughs> I'm a man's man as much as anybody. But this book was emotionally overwhelming to me. This book had me in tears. It was that emotionally overwhelming. And that is Bernadette Savirus by Francois Trocou. And I already had tremendous admiration for St. Bernadette. When I read this book, it just went up another level. She suffered a lot more than a lot of people realize. Bernadette Savirus by Francois Trocou is my next recommendation. Jack, back to you. Okay, I'm going to shift gears a little bit and go for a fictional account. Uh, uh, Joseph Roth. Joseph Roth is called a book called The Antichrist, and I, I chose this, this book because uh, it's a, it's powerful and strange. It's about this journalist that uh, there's rumors that the Antichrist is about, and he he goes sets off across the world uh, looking for the Antichrist, and it's really about a social critique of the world from everything you can think of. And it's uh, it's not so about much about the antichrist is about is about the pre- prevalence of moral decay even in his time and this he he was writing back in the 20th century, so that's for for a fiction so people that like fiction and it's a little bit journalistic a little bit fiction it's a sort of mixes genres it's an interesting read and I think people might like that for those people that like that kind of thing. Lewis, your turn. Another one is. The um, the Bible was a Catholic book. Um, I believe it's also by Trent Horn. It shows you how the Catholic Church created script one, compiled the the Bible canon we have now. And technically we are owed the credit for writing the New Testament because the apostles were Catholic. (laughs) But um, 
It shows you how the Bible is something that's completely from the Catholic Church. It shows you where to find um, principal Catholic doctrines like the Eucharist, the, the sacraments, the rest of the sacraments, the papacy, everything in Scripture. I would recommend that book, again, to anyone who's starting out in the Catholic faith. Awesome. Next book I'm going to recommend is really unique, and it's by a member of the Four Persons team, a person who has actually appeared on the Four Persons of some of the shows. I'd like to get him a lot more active than he has been, but we'll, you know, we'll take what we can get. And it's by Michael C. Benko. That's C-I-B-E-N-K-O. And the book is called Masaru. And it's a really interesting, it's a fictional account, um, but it, 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 it really, it's really interesting in that it, it takes fictional characters, puts us in 16th century Japan during the Protestant, uh, Protestant uh, revolt, and it talks about what is happening to, in the persecution of Christians in Japan and it actually is a – if you're not paying attention, you learn theology in the book. It's just really – he presents it in a very, very unique way. It's an easy read. Masaru by Michael C. Benko is my next recommendation. Jack, back to you. Let's stick with, let's stick with uh, Japan, and let's stick with fiction for a little bit. Uh, people might have seen the film version of this, which I didn't think was as good as the book. They rarely are. But it's called Silence, and it's a novel by the Japanese author Shusasko Endo. Uh, and it's, a, it's about the, when, when the Japanese were being converted, they, you know, the Catholics had to leave for a while. They were exiled, or they had to go into hiding. And it shows how these, these, the faithful, the, the, those that had been converted, the lengths they would go to, they were all martyred terribly. Some of them were the most terrible, you know, painful, horrible martyrs that you could possibly imagine. And it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant study in Catholicism from a the sort of a Japanese perspective. I would highly recommend it. It's called Silence, uh, Shusasko Endo. All right, Lewis, your turn. Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Another book is, well, let me think out of the top of my head. I already said some of my most favorites. Um, I want Pope Peter. There's The Rosary in 50 Pages by Taylor Marshall. It gives you an introductory um, on how to pray the rosary. It goes by all different, the five different kinds. Uh, I can't name them off the top of my head, but I believe what it's called, the, the Luminous Victory. Mysteries, pardon me, the divine mysteries, the sorrowful mysteries, and I forgot the other two, which is why I'm really glad I have the book. It teaches you what to say, you know. Glorious and joyful. The glorious and joyful. And I mean, like, um, it's an excellent book for a Catholic that wants to learn how to pray the rosary. Oh, it looks like we just lost Lewis, so hopefully he'll call back in. It looks like his call just dropped. Um. So my next book, if you want to understand the book of Revelation from a Catholic perspective, uh, this is a, uh, I know this is a big uh, you know, problem with Catholics. They want to know what this book is you know, really about. Book of Revelation, you want to understand it. Michael Barber's Coming Soon. Michael Barber's Coming Soon. And uh, while you're uh, 
given your next book, I'm going to try to get uh, Lewis back on, okay? Uh, so back to you, Jack, okay. for your next book. Okay, the next one I'm going to recommend, and this is a, a – I can't remember how I came across this. Somebody recommended it or something, or else it's just a – I don't know. But it's called Cosmos and Transcendence, Breaking Through the Barrier of Scientific Belief. And it's by this guy named Wolfgang Smith, who's a physicist. And he makes a brilliant argument about how scientific materialism has missed the boat um, and it's reducing everything to materialism. And in, in other words, it's sort of a revival of metaphysics. It's been completely – metaphysics are not cool today. About, nobody thinks they're very cool in the university systems or any, anywhere else. You, you start talking St. Thomas Aquinas and people's eyes glaze over and everything else. But that's, that, that's sort of all missing the point of the bigger picture. What's beyond the material and how do you explain it? And, and human thought, uh, using reason, remember I'm, I'm very fond of saying Catholicism is the, the church of faith and reason. Uh, when you use reason, you can go beyond materialism into the spiritual and everything else, and it, makes lo it uses logic and it makes sense. So his argument is physics only makes sense uh, can only make sense. It's stuck right now. It can only make sense if you use metaphysical, bring back metaphysical thought into it. It's a great book. It's uh, it's for laymen. It's not in some sort of jargon that you can't understand. And it's called Cosmos and Transcendence, Breaking Through the Barrier of Scientific Belief by Wolfgang Smith. Okay. While we're waiting to try to get Lewis back on, I'm just going to go ahead and give you my next title, Rapid Fire. It's another classic. Story of a Soul by St. Teresa of Lisieux. Um, it's a classic. Story of a Soul by St. Teresa of Lisieux. Back to you, Jack. Yeah, I've read that one. It's, that's, that is really good. Uh, and we should be mentioning some of, you know, just the old classics that if people really want to uh, dig in, uh, The City of God by St. Augustine is like a, probably kind of like a must read. Or you, you can read any of the older stuff, uh, Aquinas can be fairly dry, and, uh, but if you're into that kind of, it's, it's, it's okay that it's dry because it's the most cutting logic that you'll ever come through in your life. And it will teach you how to think logically. If you can follow Thomas Aquinas in his Summa or any of his other stuff, he's such a clear, clear, clear thinker. You can learn a lot about thinking correctly and learning about the church and everything else just by reading Thomas Aquinas. So I would suggest read anything by Thomas Aquinas. Uh, and if you want a, bit, a little bit of a more literary flair, go with St. Augustine. Maybe this, the Confessions is brilliant. Let's just face the fact yes. it's a brilliant book. It's moving. It's emotional, the whole bit. It uh -oh, is. I threw in two, though. I, I broke the rules. <laughs> I'm going to take your city of God, and I'm going to raise you mystical city of God by St. Maria of Agreta. Now, it's a big read. 2,500 pages, I, four volumes, but it's worth tried it. it. Did you make it all the way through? I did. That's amazing. My, my hat's off to you. Good for you. I've, I've started that a couple times, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's very interesting, but it's kind of easy to get lost in it, too, I thought. So maybe I'll go back and try. Your next move. You still there? Yep. Oh. Your, is your Lewis next back on? 
Well, we haven't got we we've not been able to get Lewis back on, so it's just me and you right now. Well, let's just go back to very basics of Catholicism. If you want to read a good catechism, you can read the Baltimore Catechism is really good. But uh, I think that if I'm not mistaken, it's uh, sort of based on the Catechism of Saint Pius X, and his his Catechism is very straightforward. It's no beating around the bush. It's like questions, answers, question, answers. And if anybody wanted, wants to know what the Catholic faith is about, read a catechism. It's because it's straightforward. You, you, there's your answers right in it. So uh, okay. the catechism of St. Pius X. All right. Next, uh, we got Lewis back on. Lewis, what's your next book? Um, let me just take a look at my bookshelf, which is right in front of me. Sorry, my phone went out of power, but it's, I'm, I'm charging it. I can still talk. Um, another great book is this Mary, who she is and why she matters, not to be confused with the other Marian book that I named earlier, which was Mary and the Jew, um, Jesus and the Jews, Jewish Roots of Mary. So again, the, the title of the book is Mary, who she is and why she matters. Um, it's another great book in explaining the rule, the um, biblical and church historical role of Mary, her role as the new Bathsheba, the new queen of heaven. Uh, to my knowledge, it gives a decent, um, not a decent, but a perfect defense of Revelations 12 and why that's Mary. Wonderful. All right, since uh, Jack broke the rule the last time, I'm going to break the rule, so we're at least we're <laughs> even. So I'm going to give you two real quick, rapid fire. Abandonment to Divine Providence by Jean-Pierre de Cassade and... The End of the Present World and the Mystery of the Future Life. And that is actually a book that was changed the life of St. Teresa of Lisieux, believe it or not. And that's by Father Charles Armingen. So Abandonment to Divine Providence and the End of the Present World are my next two. Jack, back to you. Okay, we're getting closer. So uh, this is a very good book, too, on the, the state of the world today, and it's by a uh, Orthodox. It's called Nihilism, the Root of the Revolution of the Modern Age, and it's by Eugene, better known as Father Seraphim Rose. And it, it too, is a book that brilliantly fights back against the world that's been given to us by the Enlightenment, basically. And uh, the, the postmodernism, you have, you have the Enlightenment, you have modernism, and you have postmodernism. All of them are of the same flavor, basically, but they just keep getting worse and worse. Enlightenment led to modernism where we know, uh-oh, reason can't fix it all because we have World War One and World War Two, and everything's going awry. There's nothing reasonable about it. And then we have postmodernism where everybody just gave up on reason altogether. And if you want to know why that happened and how it happened, read Nihilism, The Root of the Revolution of the Modern Age by Father Seraphim Rose. Lewis, your turn. Another great book that I would like to... Um, it was written by Taylor Marshall. There are some mixed opinions on him. But he, it's infiltration, basically how there are some fake people trying to act as um, clergy in the Catholic Church, trying to destroy it from within. Of course, that's not going to happen. Um, it's going to fail at the end, but um, it, um, it reminded me that... Um, Kind of like similar to what we were discussing with predators, how um, it's not that clergy become predators, it's the predators, you know, 
join the church to try to target children, and not just the Catholic Church, but the other churches too. So he gave an excellent explanation on that. I would recommend it. Again, he doesn't deny that, you know, he still affirms the Catholic Church is the true church. He's just saying that there are, you know, some people that are um, disguised as Catholic clergy trying to destroy it from within. Okay. I think think you can make a pretty good case for that, really, if you look at, like, uh, Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. uh, That's when all this kind of was occurring. And, yeah, that was their plan, infiltrate all the institutions and ruin them from within. It's, I mean, it's kind of like out in the open plan. It's well known now, and it works to a large extent. I just had a kind of conversation like, with an Eastern Orthodox Catholic, and one of their um, bishops actually said that um, Islam, I- I- insulting Islam, denying that it's a true religion, is denying the faith. And we were like, wow. Uh, um, Protestants will attack us for like uh, one of our popes. I don't remember which one for kissing the Quran, but yeah, they um, you know the Orthodox do something like that, and Protestants they've done so much worse. Um, okay, I got yeah. you. So my next one. Um, so I want to ask both of you. You've both seen the Passion of the Christ that was done by Mel Gibson and Jim Caviezel, right? Yeah, you yeah. try to watch it suffer through it once a year. Okay, so let me ask you this. Um, so what he didn't take from the Bible, the things where he filled in the gaps in the movie, he drew from two specific works. Do you know what those two works were? I do not. One of them was Mystical City of God by Maria Vigretto, which we've already talked about. And the other was the complete works of Anne Catherine Emmerich. And I've also read that, and that was 760 pages. So between those two works, it was something like 3,400 pages between those two books. The the complete (laughs) works of Anne Catherine Emmerich is my next recommendation. And Jack, back to you. Well, you know, that's intriguing, what you just said to me. I, I, I was not aware that the Passion of Christ drew upon those texts. Now you're making me intrigued, so I'm going to have to dive back into that. But uh, there's a book by David Bonagora Jr. called Steadfast in the Faith, Catholicism and the Challenges of Secularism. And you can sort of see what kind of bent I've been on. But we're we're being overrun by secularism, so we've got to, you know, arm ourselves with what knowledge we can. And it really helps if you do it from a Catholic perspective because it, it allows us to be on the same page a lot easier, uh, you know, sort of forwarding the same argument, uh, and it helps. So all is not lost, but we have to beware from now on. So reading those kinds of books is a must. It's called uh, Steadfast in Faith, Catholicism, and the Challenges of Secularism by David G. Bonagora, Jr. Okay, all right, so we're up against the uh, end of the show. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to give each person uh, one more round, and you can give two books, title and author only. We don't have time for for, uh, descriptions, so we're going to title and author only, starting with you, Lewis. The True Reformers, and again, it's a Catholic book, and you know, it talks about, you know, Catholic Reformers and how, you Title know, and author only. Title and author only. we got to move along. Ministers of Christ, um, 
sorry, um, the warrior, the Catholic warrior. Okay, and I'm going to give The Spiritual Combat and Treaties on Peace and the Soul by Dom Lorenzo Scupoli and True Devotion to Mary in Preparation for the Total Consecration by St. Louis de Montfort. And Jack, you can end us. Your last two title and author only, please. The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Kempis and oh, good one. Uh, the Holy Bible by God and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> that was unfair. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Lewis, would you end us with – All right, you have to give a version. If you're going to do that, you got to give us a version. Do a Reams version, right? Do a Reams version, yep. That's the one. Uh, all right. Lewis, would you end us with a closing prayer, please? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray for us to continue to be tools of Christ, to continue to bring um, charity and the accurate gospel that we have been so far to to people, specifically Protestants and Muslims and people outside of the Catholic faith. I pray that you keep us humble and focused on you, Christ. I hope and pray that you keep our minds focused on you. Did you give us the charity to always explain your faith with good intentions and not just, you know, for our pride? I pray that... I pray that you can forgive us in near occasions when we may fail and make sure that we never fail you. And then the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Love you guys. Amen. Until until next time, God bless and God be with you. God be with you as well.